Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. This is Islanders Award winners a monthly podcast examining seasons in which a New York Islander took home a major NHL award. I'm your host, Dan Saracini. In this episode, we'll focus on Michael Pekka in 2001-2002, a transformative season for the Islanders under their new captain's leadership and conviction. Lighthouse Hockey is SB Nation's home for New York Islanders news and discussion. You can subscribe to all of our podcasts by searching Lighthouse Hockey in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or any podcasting app of your choice. Or you can listen right from our website at www.lighthousehockey.com. Please leave us a review on iTunes if you can, as it really does help raise our profile. And as always, thank you for listening. And now, on to Michael Pekka, Selkie Trophy, 2002. I think the unfortunate thing now in professional sports is you don't have players that want to go in and help make a difference. Players want to go into a situation where it is always a winning situation. I think there is a lot more pride and a lot more satisfaction when you can contribute to something and turn it around. Michael Pekka, upon his trade to the Islanders, June 2001. The early 2000s was an era of great uncertainty for the Islanders. We could fill an entire other podcast series with the foibles and failures of Islanders' ownership throughout the late 80s and 90s, not to mention the contributions of GMs Don Maloney and Mike Milbury, who each made moves that set the franchise back years. So we'll fast forward to the 2001 NHL entry draft. Milbury could generously be described as being on his third, maybe fourth, fifth, rebuild of the team, having cycled through players like Zygmunt Palfi, Brian Burrard, Trevor Linden, Todd Bertuzzi, and Roberto Luongo 
either because he was told to cut payroll by ownership or because he found some greener grass someplace else. But new owners Charles Wong and Sanjay Kumar had money and wanted a winner. Having already hired a new coach and hotshot AHL boss Peter Laviolette, Milbury was ready to make a splash or two to get his team back in his feet in a big way. When a trade for big Bruins center Jason Allison didn't materialize, Milbury authorized assistant GM Mike Santos to make the trade he and his scouts had been pushing for. They sent three assets, the second overall pick in the 2001 draft, hulking Slovakian defenseman Zdeno Chara, and grinding forward Bill Muckholt to the Ottawa Senators in exchange for center Alexei Yashin. The big Russian had been Ottawa's captain for a few years before sitting out the entire 99-2000 season while looking to renegotiate his contract for a higher paycheck. He played for the Senators in 2000-2001, but uh, wasn't exactly a fan favorite anymore, despite a second 40-goal season. A trade seemed inevitable, and the talented center could be a welcome sight to an Islanders team desperately in need of some. Milbury wasn't done there. Another team's 27-year-old former holdout captain would also make sense for the Islanders. A second-round pick of the Canucks, Michael Pekka had arrived in Buffalo thanks to a multiplayer trade that sent Alexander McGillney to Vancouver. He didn't wait long to establish himself as one of the best checking centers and tenacious defenders in the league. In just his second full NHL season, Pekka took home his first Selkie trophy as the NHL's best defensive forward. He finished as a finalist in each of the next two seasons, too. At 5'11", 180 pounds, Pekka wasn't a big guy, but he could lay huge hits, and he was as consistent in the offensive zone as he was on defense. He scored 20 goals in three of his five seasons in Buffalo, including a career-high 27 in 1999. That season, he took over as the Sabres' captain and helped lead them to their first Stanley Cup final in 24 years. After the following season, he got into a prolonged salary squabble with Sabres management. As a restricted free agent, Pekka asked for a contract worth $3.5 million a year. Buffalo's counteroffer never even reached $3 million a year. So for the entire 2000-2001 season, Pekka skated at the Sabres training center, paying for his ice time on his own dime, played for Team Canada in the World Championships, and generally waited for his next opportunity elsewhere. That elsewhere turned out to be Long Island. A day after the 2001 draft, embracing for a still uncertain future, Pekka was traded to the Islanders for two promising young forwards, Tim Connolly and Taylor Pyatt, the fifth and eighth overall picks in the 1999 draft. Pekka said the end of his exile was a great day, but didn't stop at the usual comments about looking forward to a fresh start. He was already up to speed with his new team and talked about helping build a winner that would carry on the franchise's great history. Quote, I go back to something Peter Laviolette said in his press conference. You know, this is an organization that has a rich tradition. They have a lot of Stanley Cup banners and a lot of great hockey players that went through that organization. Being a kid that grew up watching Mike Bossy, I can't tell you how excited I am to be a part of this organization right now. End quote. In late August, Pekka signed a five-year, $20 million contract with the Islanders, giving him the financial stability he wanted but never got from the Sabres. At his news conference, Pekka spoke openly about spending the rest of his career in blue and orange. About a week later, Yashin inked his now-infamous 10-year, $90 million contract, an NHL record at the time. The Islanders began training camp at Lake Placid, New York, on September 11, 2001, a day of tragedy for all Americans. Players were expectedly consumed with news from back home and trying, like everyone else, 
to come to grips with the shocking loss of life experienced on that day. Pekka in particular was concerned for his wife Kristen, who had been at JFK Airport awaiting a flight back to Buffalo when the Twin Towers were hit. She reported that there was chaos and confusion at the airport, but she managed to drive back to Western New York safe and sound. Training camp and life eventually resumed, and incumbent players noted Laviolette's organization and new attitude. The veteran-laden team was ready, and with the arrival of Chris Osgood, who was snagged from the Detroit Red Wings in the waiver draft in a stroke of almost unbelievable luck, not to mention another long story, their biggest area of concern was addressed. With Yashin and Pekka down the middle, a sharp young coach behind the bench, and a Stanley Cup winning goalie, the Islanders actually looked like they could have a winner for the first time in almost a decade. Milbury, desperate to shake the Mad Mike label he had earned over the previous six seasons, excitedly declared that the team was back in business. Both Osgood and LaViolette said they believed the Islanders had what it took to not only make the playoffs, but advance in them. Meanwhile, Pekka, who was finally officially named captain two days before the season opener, showed the level-headedness that had made him a successful leader in the NHL. Quote, The key is that if we lose a few games, not to think about the past of this franchise. Given what's behind us, we have to look forward and move forward. End quote. Losing a few games wasn't something anyone had to worry about for the first few weeks of the season. The 2001-2002 Islanders shot out of the gate with an 11-1-1-1 record in their first 14 games of the season, an all-time franchise best. To say that was unexpected would be a severe understatement. The team had won just 21 games the season before. Now, before the first month of the season was even over, they had already earned half that total. Their only regulation loss in their first 14 games was a 2-1 defeat to the dynastic Detroit Red Wings. For his part, Pekka found great chemistry on the team's new second line with scoring winger Mark Parrish and swift newcomer Sean Bates. The three combined speed, tenacity, defensive awareness, and scoring punch to explosive results early on. Bates, who had a career high of 12 points in a season two years earlier with the Bruins, had five goals and eight assists for 13 points during the run. Parrish had 12 goals in that 14-game stretch, eight of which were assisted on by Pekka. He had 15 points and four goals of his own, including a goal and two assists in his first game as an Islander, and a huge overtime game winner against Dallas a few weeks later. Absolutely. You'll hear the roar. Islanders win. It's official. 
The line even had a ready-made nickname, the Lucky Sevens, in honor of their uniform numbers, 17, 27, 37. They were so good, as was Osgood, who had three shutouts during the streak, that their play obscured a shoulder injury that Pekka sustained just a few games into the season. He would play with a great deal of soreness in that shoulder all season long. He also sustained a concussion thanks to Penguins defenseman Mike Wilson in the third game of the season. Pekka was crushed, fell to the ice, and left under his own power. He later admitted to, quote, some slight amnesia and didn't remember anything between winning the faceoff and getting stitches. He missed two games in early October and had visible black eyes, bruises, and a gash from the hit. After almost a year and a half away, people around the NHL were starting to remember the kind of player Michael Pekka was. He was bringing more offense with him, but he still was the same no-nonsense grit machine he had been before. Quote, I want to score goals just like anyone else, but I learned a long time ago that it can be just as important to stop the opponent from scoring as well. Now I'm getting a chance to show there are two sides to Michael Pekka. But people have to remember that hockey is not fancy skating, and it's not always pretty. It's hard work. I know my mom used to tease me that I lead with my face too much. End quote. The hot start wouldn't last forever. The Islanders went into a five-game winless streak in early November. While trying to get his teammates to raise their games, Pekka also had to fend off cynical reporters and fans who were quick to assume that the slump would flush the entire season the way it had for previous versions of the team. The captain was having none of that talk. He said of the team's first slump, quote, It's the perfect chance for us to prove that we're a different team. This is where the guys who were brought in and the guys who have stepped up in the past, this is the time to step up and show we're a team to be reckoned with. We can't let this slide and just fall back into mediocrity. We've got to reestablish ourselves as a force in this conference and this league. End quote. The team responded by reeling off four consecutive wins just before Thanksgiving. They pulled back into first place in the Atlantic Division on November 23rd with a 3-1 win over Toronto, a game in which Pekka scored a key insurance goal early in the third period. They finished that month with a six-game unbeaten streak and enjoyed their first winning November in 11 years. That hot streak ended in dramatic fashion on December 1st, 2001, when they lost to Buffalo in Pekka's first game against the Sabres in over a year. It was an uncharacteristic game for him, with no shots on goal and finishing with a minus one. Alan Hahn of Newsday called Pekka's performance, quote, surprisingly invisible. The 4-2 loss was somewhat indicative of the Islanders in general at that point in the season. With the Ashen scoring goals and Pekka and his line leading in the grit department, a lot of the team's holdovers from previous seasons had yet to find any consistency. Players like Marius Tchaikovsky, Brad Isbister, and Oleg Kavasha had good games and bad ones, but simply couldn't be counted on to bring the same effort every night. After a 4-3 loss to the Blackhawks in early December, Pekka talked about he and his teammates being mentally tired from a packed early schedule of games. Hahn wrote that while his offensive output has been notable, Pekka has been, quote, a shadow of the hard-hitting player he was with the Buffalo Sabres. The weary captain has lost his crunch, end quote. Pekka was still doing good things, though like scoring his third shorthanded goal of the season in a controversial loss to the Devils and being named to Canada's Olympic team for the 2002 Winter Games at Salt Lake City. After having been omitted from the 1998 squad, he called the selection one of his most memorable moments. He had also become a face of the franchise and in the community. When the players donated their paychecks for a December game against the Panthers to the families of the victims of the September 11th attacks, 
They did so through a few initiatives that focused on getting food and gift vouchers directly to those who needed it. Pekka addressed the media saying, quote, With all of us living on Long Island, we felt it was important for us to focus on some of the victims and their families here on Long Island. You hear the nightmare stories where donations are lost, so we want to make sure that that didn't happen here and was actually going to help someone. End quote. His 10 points in December came on three goals and seven assists on goals for either Parrish or Bates. Fans are excited by this team and their raised expectations. Sellouts of Nassau Coliseum were now routine, and Pekka noticed the big difference in the building's energy from the, quote, boring games he used to play there as a member of the Sabres. But by early January, the Islanders' inconsistencies continued, and their eye-catching start was a distant memory. Milbury, who had been suspiciously quiet to that point, was expected to start sniffing around for some help for his club, which had slipped from first place to third in the division. Meanwhile, his captain wanted to put the onus on the current squad to get things back on track. Quote, Going through a time like this, now everybody wants to look outside the organization for someone to get us going. I think that lets us off easy. We've got to take it upon ourselves to make things better and not look to Mike to have to make changes to make our team better. And then if you want to add something to make us stronger, then that's great. End quote. When the team set off for a rough 10-day, five-game road trip, Pekka warned that a playoff spot could disappear in a blink if the Islanders didn't start winning more games. He boldly claimed they would take all 10 points on the trip. They lost the first game, a 4-0 shutout in Montreal in which Pekka skated on Yashin's wing for a loaded-up first line. But they won three of the next four and ended up with six points. Even though Laviolette had his line blender working all month, Pekka finished January with six goals and three assists. Wins were still in preciously short supply, though. Pekka called a 6-6 tie with the lowly Panthers, in which the Islanders blew leads of 2-0 and 5-2, quote, a disgrace. They won their next two, and Pekka personally secured two points for them in their final game before the Olympic break by scoring a shorthanded goal in the dying seconds of overtime to give the Islanders a 1-0 win against the Flyers. They went into the break sixth in the Eastern Conference with 67 points, on a record of 29, 19, 6, and 3. Not nearly on solid enough playoff ground for anyone's liking. At Salt Lake City, Pekka was part of a powerhouse Team Canada lineup. While he didn't have the explosive output of a Joe Sackick, Chris Pronger, or Jerome McGinley, he nonetheless was an integral cog in their march through the men's tournament. Named an alternate captain before the games, Pekka had two assists over six contests and, more importantly, drew key defensive assignments against some of the best players in the world. He helped Canada defeat Finland 2-1 in the quarterfinals by shadowing Temu Solani. And in the gold medal game against the United States, he worked to keep stars like Mike Mandano and Brett Hull mostly quiet. When Canada skated off with a 5-2 victory, it snapped a 50-year gold medal drought for the birthplace of the sport. Of course, the all-business Pekka wasn't about to let something as small as a little bit of history get in the way. Of his gold medal, he said, quote, It's pretty neat. I'm sure down the road I'll look back at it and I'll appreciate it even more. End quote. He did wish that legendary Canadian broadcaster Foster Hewitt had been alive to call the game. When we come back, Pekka and the Islanders take a bumpy road to an infinitely bumpier playoff series. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. 
From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we-just-hit-a-million-orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash specialoffer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash specialoffer. Back from the Olympic break, and with 25 games left before the postseason, the Islanders first faced the Bruins, who were tied for first place in the East. But Pekka picked up right where he left off before he went to Salt Lake City, scoring twice, including another last-second shorthanded goal to earn the Islanders an important tie. The pair gave him 18 goals on the season and six shorthanded scores. Injuries forced Laviolette to double-shift Yashin and Pekka with a rotating list of line mates, but the team still couldn't find any consistency. Pekka inadvertently scored an own goal in a loss to the fading Penguins during a stretch in which the Islanders played seven games against teams under 500. The next game was an even bigger letdown, a 5-0 drubbing at the hands of the last place Sabres in Pekka's second game against his old team. For the first time in this resurgent season, the Islanders heard boos from a home crowd. Pekka would not waver from his belief that this team had what it took to make the playoffs. Quote, if you go into a big panic and try to change everything, you'll start sliding even more. We've just got to stay level-headed. End quote. They stopped the slide, then headed to Buffalo for Pekka's first game back at his old home. The ex-captain heard boos every time he touched the puck and was jumped by former teammate Rob Ray, who had made some pointed comments about his holdout. The Islanders walked away with a crucial 3-0 shutout, and while Osgood deserves most of the credit, a sliding block by Pekka on sniper Miro Shatan in the second period helped preserve the Islanders' slim 1-0 lead and reminded Sabres fans of what they were missing. With two straight wins in their pockets, the Islanders were looking to get hot with 16 games left in the season. Instead, they dropped a 3-2 decision to the Devils in a game Pekka called disgusting and caused him to openly question his teammates' commitment. He and LaViolette were starting to take criticism for not being the right leaders the team needed to get consistent performances out of the rest of the roster. Pekka again would hear none of that. Quote, We can do and say what we like before a game, but unless you actually walk up and smack them upside the head, they won't be ready. And I'm not going to sacrifice my own preparation to make sure someone else is ready. End quote. In that stretch of seven games against losing teams, the Islanders went 3-4, and four, a disappointing record, but not uncharacteristic of what had been a very erratic team. A closed-door meeting was held after a loss to Ottawa in which Pekka once again called out his teammates for not playing for one another. The door was closed for so long that the team was fined by the league after Canadian media members complained about it. LOL. Writers were actively wondering when Mad Mike would reappear and make one of his infamous reaction trades. 
Earlier that season, Milbury tried to trade for Chicago winger Tony Amonti, but couldn't get Blackhawks GM Mike Smith to bite. Shockingly, the trade deadline was dead quiet for the Islanders. Milbury only acquired depth players Darren Van Imp and Dave Roach, who would end up playing a combined 15 games for the squad. Instead, reinforcements came in a different way. Three straight wins combined with some timely losses helped bring that playoff berth a little closer. A 4-2 win against the Rangers was particularly sweet as it basically sunk their high-priced rival's season. Pekka had an assist on Kip Miller's opening goal, then lost 14th when a deflected puck hit him in the mouth. Unsurprisingly, he did not miss any time. Pekka scored his 23rd goal of the season in a 5-4 win over the Leafs a few nights later, and assisted on one of Parrish's two goals on the night. The next five games were, to put it mildly, excruciating. With a precious playoff berth on the line practically every night, every point was massive. A loss, a win, a tie, and an overtime win finally earned the Islanders what they wanted, a chance to clinch a playoff berth at home. The problem was that their opponent was the Washington Capitals, a team they had not beaten in their last 22 matchups. From Nassau Veterans Memorial Coliseum, it's the Washington Capitals against the New York Islanders. I'm Stan Fischel, and let me tell you something. You can feel the excitement throughout the arena. Islander fans can virtually feel that elusive playoff berth, and all they need is one point tonight, and they've got it. And sure enough, the game was also excruciating. The Islanders raced out to a 5-1 lead and looked to have the entire thing sewn up. But that wasn't how the 2001-2002 Islanders operated. The Capitals scored three unanswered goals, and with a little over four minutes to play, things suddenly seemed to be going south. But the Islanders, and Osgood hung on to the one-goal lead and finally, the team and their fans could breathe a satisfied sigh of relief. So, who scored that fifth and ultimately game-winning goal? Yup. Michael Pekka. It's Pekka in the corner. Center to Pekka! And it's 5-1 New York! Thanks to the team's summer facelift, long-suffering Islanders fans and even some longtime players were finally able to see the postseason. And doing it so dramatically was just gravy. Through all the ups and downs and moments of panic, the 2001-2002 New York Islanders finished with their best record since the franchise's last run to the Stanley Cup Final in 1984. Their 96 points was a 44-point increase over the previous season's total. The Islanders also scored 54 more goals and allowed 48 fewer than their 2000-2001 incarnation. In their last 15 games, they had a record similar to the one they had in their first 14, going 10-3-0-1 to finish one point behind the Flyers in the Atlantic. Pekka finished with 25 goals and set career highs with 35 assists and 60 points. He tied his linemate Parrish for second on the Islanders scoring list for that season and combined with Bates and others to make the Islanders one of the most dangerous shorthanded teams in the league. He was second in the NHL with six shorthanded goals and tied Boston's Brian Rolston, who had nine shorties, for the most shorthanded points with 10. Although he and the other newcomers had transformed the team inside and out, Pekka was clear that they simply joined a group that didn't know how good it could be. Quote, I didn't expect us to be a team that would just battle for a playoff spot. The guys that were in place I had played against before. 
I knew there was a good thing here, end quote. The Islanders also had 24 sellouts at the Coliseum that season, far from the quiet, boring building Pekka had seen as a visitor. They claimed the fifth seed in the East and prepared to face the fourth-seeded Toronto Maple Leafs in the first round of the playoffs. The Leafs had an expensive, veteran-filled lineup and, in case you didn't know, also had a Stanley Cup drought dating back to the NHL's 16 era. In a shocking change from the norm, the Islanders were vocal about their choice of playoff opponents when asked about it down the stretch. They wanted to play Toronto rather than the Carolina Hurricanes because it meant a bigger stage, particularly from Canadian media that might easily have ignored a series featuring two of the league's least-watched teams. That includes Pekka, an Ontario native and student of the game, who knew what was in store for his teammates, many of whom had never been to the postseason. Quote, The one thing about Toronto as opposed to Carolina is right off the bat there will be no mistaking that we're in the playoffs. End quote. Attention was not something the series would be lacking. Right from the opening faceoff, the series had a nasty edge that would continue to grow like wildfire through seven brutal, punishing games. In every game, hits before and after whistles were plentiful. For every penalty called, the referees seemed to let three or four transgressions go. Periods were packed with roughing, instigator, and misconduct penalties, and most of the games ended with flat-out brawls. In Game 1, the Islanders lost 3-1, to one, letting a chance to steal home ice advantage slip away. They played better in Game 2, but lost 2 to nothing mainly thanks to 31 saves by Toronto goalie Curtis Joseph. Pekka personally had two missed opportunities to score, but it was the same story for a number of Islanders. Back on Long Island before Game 3, Mount St. Milbury erupted, and the Islanders' general manager called the assembled media into an impromptu video session that laid out, in profane detail, many of the ways the refs had lost control of the series. Although he pointed out penalties his own team had gotten away with, most of his ire was directed at the Leafs. As Milbury was making his point, his team still needed to win Game 3 to get back into the series. That they did, taking the game by a convincing 6-1 score, with Pekka and several others tallying their first goals of the series. The pivotal back-and-forth Game 4 was tied at 3 late in the third period, when Bates was tripped by Leafs defenseman Brian McCabe on a breakaway, leading to a penalty shot. Bates went right to his captain for advice. Pekka, knowing Cujo well from Team Canada and his days on division rival Buffalo, told him to not try any one-on-one moves and to, quote, take your best shot, which is exactly what Bates did. We'll look to see the pressure build here at the Nassau Coliseum, and most of it now centers on Sean Bates, who has first career playoff goal in this series. He got some advice from the captain, Mike Pekka, a moment ago, here he comes. Penalty shot for Bates. Islanders hung on for the final two and a half minutes, and the series was tied. Of course, a scrum broke out at the end. Once everyone started to dissipate, Pekka waved his stick at the crowd to signal for the celebration to begin. Although Pekka told his teammates not to retaliate on the ice, 
Tension between the two clubs was high. Leafs' Shane Corson and Darcy Tucker already had a shouting match with Jason Blake that Pekka had to pull his teammate back from. After taking an open ice hit from Pekka in Game 3, Tucker made threats at him saying, quote, I'm going to kill you. I'm taking you out. None of that is unusual for hockey, of course, especially playoff hockey. But coupled with the increasing physicality of the series, the war of words made the bloodlust seem very, very real. Pekka talked down the Leafs' taunts by basically saying that they were all hat and no cattle. Quote, They've got some guys that think they're bullies, and it's rare in this league that you're going to bully people around. I hear the same rhetoric over and over. It's comical. But you got to deal with it. We just got to make sure we don't get involved in this stuff. End quote. Tucker blew the whole thing off, but made his very real disdain for Pekka be known. When asked if he thought if the Islanders' captain was a good player, Tucker's reply was, quote, just ask him. But the body count was getting higher. Both teams were shuffling players in and out of the lineup due to injuries left over from the regular season. And in Game 5, things were about to get even worse. In the first period with the game tied at 1, Toronto's Gary Roberts hit top Islanders defenseman Kenny Janssen into the end boards, resulting in a concussion. Roberts was assessed a 5-minute major for charging, but not a game misconduct which angered the Islanders. And it didn't stop there. Down 2-1 in the second, Pekka sent a clearing pass up the ice from along the boards. From his blind side, Tucker swooped in and hit Pekka hard in the thigh. One shot on the Major. Pekka is up into trying to come out. He's hurt. Pekka is down and has not moved on that check coming out of the zone. Pekka lay on the ice for some time after the low bridge hit, then left the game under a hail of boos from Leafs fans. Unlike Robert's hit on Janssen, though, Tucker wasn't penalized for his hit on Pekka at all. Afterwards, the Islanders crumbled, losing the game 6-3. If you were an Islanders fan watching that play, you will most likely never forget the hateful scowl on Tucker's face as he bared down on Pekka. You knew at that moment that a turning point was happening. A day later, Milbury announced the inevitable, a torn anterior cruciate ligament for Pekka. Both he and Janssen would be out for the series, and Pekka would be out for the season and a portion of the next. The Islanders were once again staring elimination in the face, and now were without two of their best players. Pekka, LaViolette, and all of their teammates maintained that the hit, while perhaps not strictly illegal, was most definitely dirty. Tucker remained unapologetic about the play that ended Pekka's season and was adamant that a review for suspension was overkill. Quote, I was just finishing my check. I don't know what the big hoopla is about. If Pekka hadn't been hurt, 
there wouldn't have been anything said about it, end quote. Against that tense backdrop, the Islanders won Game 6 5-3. They got two goals from Mercurial Marius Tchaikovsky, yet another game-ending brawl. Tensions were even spilling out to fans between games. The Islanders' team plane was held up by Canadian customs officers on the way to Toronto for Game 7. Agents claimed a couple of players didn't have the proper documentation, even as the team explained that the agents were using an outdated manifest. After about an hour, everyone was allowed to go in their merry way. But it was clear that this was bigger than just hockey. In the tamest game of the series, the Leafs came away as the victors. Alexander McGilney, who was once traded for Pekka and others, scored twice. The Islanders' Kip Miller made the score 3-2 late, but McGilney's empty netter sealed it. Curtis Joseph made 31 saves for the win. The Islanders wanted to get noticed in this series against the Maple Leafs, and boy did they. So did the lack of respect between the two teams by people around hockey, including other NHL players. Late Leafs coach Pat Quinn said the series was like last man standing, and he wasn't wrong. Pekka was one of the many not standing at the end of the series. After the season was over, he faced major reconstructive surgery on his left knee. At the same time, the condition of his injured left shoulder finally fully came to light, and he had a stabilization procedure on that also. Pekka acknowledged that hurting his shoulder so early in the season changed the way he played. Quote, I couldn't help but be apprehensive. I couldn't hunt like I normally do, just go hit guys. I knew I had limitations. End quote. Despite those limitations, on June 20th, 2002, Michael Pekka was named the winner of the Frank J. Selkie Trophy as the league's best defensive forward. The voting was not close. Pekka had 25 first place votes, while runner-up Craig Conroy of the Calgary Flames had seven. Pekka's 394 total votes were more than twice Conroy's 178. Dallas winger Yeri Letnin, who was a two-time winner of the Selkie Trophy at that point, came in third with 175 votes. Pekka also finished 10th in Hart Trophy voting as league MVP. The Selkie win was the second of Pekka's career and the first ever for the Islanders. For 23 years, the franchise did not have a Selkie winner, despite employing Brian Trottier, considered for a long time to be the best two-way player in the game. When that streak came to an end, on-ice defense was only one small part of the story. Michael Pekka came to the Islanders with a reputation as a leader. He was that, and much, much more. He brought with him a high hockey IQ, defensive tenacity, and a knack for clutch goals. But perhaps more importantly, he also brought an earnest sense of pride and a drive to make the franchise more successful than its fans had seen in years. Islanders Award Winners is written, produced, and edited by Dan Saracini. Research and other assistance provided by Kevin Schultz. You can read more about Long Island hockey history at Kevin's project, lihockeyhistory.com, or at its Twitter account, at lihockeyhistory. We also found the book Fish Sticks by Peter Boddy and Alan Hahn instrumental in writing this episode. If you're an Islanders fan or a hockey fan that doesn't already own a copy, you should seek it out. You can also visit Kevin's shop at VintageIceHockey.com, where you can buy t-shirts, hoodies, and mugs featuring logos of over 100 classic hockey teams. Use the code LIGHTHOUSE15 to save 15% off your order and donate a portion of the sale to the Center for Dementia Research in the name of Coach Al Arbor. 
Check out lighthousehockey.com every day for your most up-to-date Islanders news and discussion. And be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss a thing. Thanks for listening. See you next time.